welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. You may have noticed that both me and Heather are of uh, a female gender. Yes. We, we don't talk about it very much. We identify as female. We do, we do. And um, the subject of today's discussion at the top of the podcast is gender stereotypes. Heather, you spotted an article on the Sherry Blair Foundation for Women website about a a recent report about gender stereotypes and their impact on women entrepreneurs. And we thought, well, that's quite relevant to what we talk about. Talk about business, we're women. We do tend to talk about female issues in in the world of business. So, yeah, I launched into it and it looks like we've cut out the same parts of the article, actually, to talk about The article actually references some research that's been done of 221 women entrepreneurs in 42 lower middle income countries done in July and August this year. And uh, it's quite interesting findings. Uh, there, there was a sense when I was reading it of no shit Sherlock with it. I don't know whether, whether you thought the yeah, same, Heather. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I have to admit that I had to get my head around and I, I had because I was reading some other bits and pieces and I was having to get my head around what this was actually about. Yeah. So it's not it's not about equality in the workplace. No. It, it's much more deep-rooted and deep-seated than that. It's the whole idea about what it is that influences females to either become entrepreneurs or not become entrepreneurs. So it, it's sort of a step back from before you've even set up it a business or, or decided to be an entrepreneur and it's the it's the sort of um societal impact you know things that happen during your your formative years mm. um and that so i had to start off by kind of getting my head around what we were actually talking about well what i found quite useful um was at the beginning of the report that you can download from the sherry blair is a list of definitions for some yeah. of the um, phrases, um, for example, entrepreneurial ecosystem, gender role, gender social norm, patriarchy, yeah. um, but gender stereotype. So yeah. this is what I honed in on because I was thinking I thought I knew what it was. Um, and this is confirmed that it's a, a gender stereotype is a generalised view or preconception about the characteristics or roles that are expected to be innately possessed by and socially performed by women and men. Uh, Gender stereotype is harmful when it limits limits women's and men's capacity to develop their personal abilities and pursue their professional careers. I can get my words out. You can get your words out. Um, So I just did a a quick search because I had my idea of certain gender stereotypes. Again, I I did a quick search just to see if I I was thinking on the right track. Yeah. So I'm looking at genderequalitylaw.org. And they confirm that examples of gender stereotypes in early years, that girls should play with dolls and boys should play with trucks. Both of those views are equally damaging, aren't they? Um, Boys should like blue and green. Girls should like red and pink. Boys shouldn't wear dresses um, because that's a girl's um, clothing. Um, I go all the way up to adults and... um, there's something wrong with a woman who doesn't want children. Assertive women are unfeminine, bossy, bitches, yes. whores, it says here. Women are not... Wow, women. I never thought I might... <laughs> I might have thought of myself as bossy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Um, women are natural nurturers, men are natural leaders. And I think that these sorts of thinking is 
it has been in my mind. I sort of grew up with um, Working Girl was one of my favourite films. It's one yeah. of the reasons I went into to do business instead of engineering. And you look at the two female leads in there, mm-hmm. and it's such a stereotype, isn't it? The assertive one is made out to be a complete bitch, yeah. bossy bitch, even a bit of a whore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the one that does good is sweet and feminine and, and a little bit ditzy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think I, that was quite useful for me. Um, the other one I wanted to pick up on was that. Patriarchy or patriarchy? What was it? Patriarchy. I think it is. And uh, a patriarchal social system supports male domination and privilege, which shape the gender social norms and how different norms for women and men are valued. This leads to subordination of and discrimination against women in all aspects of public and private life. Sort of the world that we live in, but by challenging some of the gender stereotypes you just start to break through a little bit I think break through the patriarchy yeah but I think the challenge is and then the report it's an in-depth report it's 49 pages um but it's quite easy I haven't, I haven't read all of it every single word but I've, I've looked at some of the the key points and I think it's what it's not about is it's not about Women who have the notion, the idea, the belief that they can dom- not dominate, but you know, stand, stay, stand, stand their ground in a male-dominated society and or break into entrepreneurism, that's one thing. It's not about those people. It's about the people who subliminally, because of this stereotyping, don't even consider that it's something that they could do. And I think that um, some of the stats that they were quoting is go back to your childhood so um of the respondents um they said that uh women entrepreneurs reported that gender stereotypes were most commonly conveyed in their childhood by family members 75 percent in the media 49 percent and in education 48 percent so family members 75 percent yeah so when you're gonna have kids exactly exactly that sort of and then they talked um, for example, they talked about uh, approval or disapproval of different careers by those family members, teachers, friends, um, played a role in their choice of career for many. That's 56%. And and yet a really positive um, percentage is that most respondents, 70%, who these are who are entrepreneurs. Yeah. Re- and identify as and entrepreneurs. Like, yes, yeah. yes reported knowing a female entrepreneur when they were children, suggesting that role models have a powerful influence on outcomes. So that, that leads me to the question then, how many people don't identify as entrepreneurs or thought about it, were tempted in that direction, but because there was no strong female Female role model, they never progressed to become um, an entrepreneur. So it looks like that's a really significant factor on whether you go on to be and yeah. classify yourself as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I, I think I might have mentioned before, I went to an all-female secondary school where we were essentially, and a lot of the teachers were former pupil, female former pupils of the school. Um, okay, so there's one message there. Uh, you go to this school, you, you come and teach at this school, you might well be a spinster, right? There's a lot of that going on, okay? <laughs> then there's... Um, uh, you might, or you might be a nurse, or you might be a teacher, 
you're very good, you could potentially study law or something like that if you're very, very clever. Um, but you're probably going to be a typist or a secretary or some sort of admin role. You know, so it was it was quite closed mm. down. And I don't think that was because they were looking at my academic capabilities and deciding, <laughs> let's manage your expectations, Heather. But nobody, at no point was there any talk of, here are some great female leaders, here are some female business owners, this is what you could, there was none of that. Mm. I, I had a slightly better experience than that, but but still quite mixed. So I went to an all-girls high school, um, but the, it was sort of, you were expected to go on to train to be a lawyer, a doctor, right. an engineer. That was the expectation. Engineer? Yeah. Yeah, right. So that, well, that was the expectation, and a lot of the teachers there were all-girls, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but alongside that aspirational, but that you know that's okay to do that as a career. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the extracurricular activities were sewing, cooking, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, all yeah. of those sorts of things. Yes. There was no football. There was wasn't you know the the sports were girls' sports. There was no metalwork, woodwork. That was over at, at the boys' the boy school side, across yeah. the road. Yeah. So, although you've got this, yes, you can achieve for it. Um, there, there was still that message of, you know, you are the homemaker. Yeah. We're talking a few years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah quite yeah. a few years ago. But also, I, I've got um, entrepreneurs in my family. But my role model was sort of the females of the family supported the male entrepreneurs. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so um, quite a lot of my male uh, family members have run businesses and several businesses um some successful some not but the the female always took the back seat the supporting role yeah. probably the engine room of the whole business if yeah, we're yeah. honest <laughs> <laughs> but the man took the leading role so I, I think it was a really interesting study and it, it wasn't trying to um wasn't trying to change the world just with this one report. I think it's part of a bigger project um, that they're involved in. And and it only came out with three action points. And I thought they were quite relevant, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, something that you can aim for generally as a society. So the first action they suggest is increase your understanding of how gender stereotypes shape women's lives, including entrepreneurship, yeah. economic participation, division of unpaid care work, etc. Raise awareness and take concrete measures. So it, it's it's a journey, I think yeah. I, I picked yeah. up from that. It's not an overnight um, fix, is it? But So we, we're, we're talking about our experience in high school <clears throat> a few years ago. Yeah. Just a few. Yeah. Well, I was researching the guy we're profiling later and I came across a video on the BBC website and it was on CEO Secrets. So okay. the guy we're profiling a little later in the podcast had got a little video on CEO Secrets on the BBC website. And I just left left it playing and the one that popped up immediately afterwards was like, oh my God, that is such an example. So it was a lady called Amy Golding, um, and she's the CEO of a hundred million pound global company called Opus Talent Solutions. Okay. She became CEO when she was thirty-one, and she talks about in this short video challenges of being a young business leader. And she, um, she was told quite early on in an appraisal um, that um, in order to be successful, to progress in her career, she would need to be less young and less girly. 
Oh, gosh, okay. Um, she was told if she wouldn't be taken seriously as a leader... Um, and, and uh, she, because of the way that she was, that she was. Yeah, she looks young. Quite she is young. And is, yeah. yeah, and uh, she clearly is very successful and the head of this business. And she was talking about the fact that um, she says her approach to being a leader is she isn't bothering about appearing young because she is young. She doesn't try and not be less girly, but she tries to be taken seriously as a leader by never pretending to know more than she does, mm-hmm. and building a strong team around her. And she sees that um, being part of that team is her strength. And um, she says a powerful strength for leaders is to say that I don't know. And that's whether you're female or male. Yeah, doesn't matter what gender you are. It's got nothing to do with how young and how girly you are. It's how you work with your team, isn't it? And how you, you actually build a team that supports your strengths. So I thought that was really relevant. Um, Amy Golding from Opus Talent Solutions giving us a, a good classic example of stereotyping. You know, if you want to be a leader, you've got to be this figure of a, a, a male leader that's been created. And that would equally apply, I think, to male leaders who, who aren't particularly alpha male. No. You know, you, you have forced them into a, a particular box of leadership and it doesn't suit their personality. It's not going to be right for them either. No, and particularly if we think about... Um, so there'll be a lot of um, people who identify as male but may be gay... You know, so they may be, you know what they used to say, in touch with their feminine side, you know, all yeah. that sort, sort of thing. So those those type, whether you're male or female, you can be strong and dominant or you can be more laid back and relaxed. That You no, can be young. You can, you can be old. You can be old. You can be yeah. girly. You can be, be not girly. Yeah. It doesn't actually matter no. what gender you are. No. no. It's, and and further in the, in the report, they talk about actually, again, remember these are women who do identify as entrepreneurs um 60 said that they believe that the gender stereotype has impacted their business growth and affects how seriously they're taken as business owners um and that actually that then impacts on how confident they are in the future of their business and their business profitability so it's not just it's not about ego uh, it's not about equality it's about the bottom line yeah and sustainability and success and it's all results, of those things. isn't it? It's results, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's a it's a really interesting report. Um, I think that it's a topic that is just going to grow and grow. And it's as we've already said, it's so much more than equality in the workplace. This is about if you and, and of course some girls want to play with dolls. Some girls want to play with cars. But if we only buy dolls for our children, and if we only get them to, you know, we give them the, the pink paint and the purple paint, and we give those things are just going to reinforce yeah. all, all of those messages. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the whole, when are you going to have kids? Actually, you know, I didn't have kids. Yeah. Like, what's that got to do with you? What's yeah. that got to do with anything? No, the clock's ticking. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, does why is is having kids going to make me a better person? Is it gonna is it gonna affect my ability to run a business effectively? Is it gonna? It's just different. It's isn't just it? different. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, um, interesting article. You can find that on the Sherry Blair Foundation for Women website. There's a number of other interesting campaigns and articles on there, so it's worth taking a look as well. So then we reviewed a book, uh, which seems to me, um, I I did pick it for this reason. Uh, It's on Kindle Unlimited, so it's well worth taking a a look and and seeing if it's for you. Um, But it seems to be a, a manual for newbie Managers, yeah, it's kind of management for dummies. Yeah, it's it's, there's everything in this book. It is called Management for Beginners, and I'd said to Heather, let's have a read. Let's, you know, it's perhaps not the book that we would pick up. We're both quite experienced managers, but there's always something you can learn, and also look at it from the point of view: would this have been helpful to me when I was starting out? Yeah. And I think the answer I got for that, so sorry, the book is called Management for Beginners, The Ultimate Guide for First-Time Managers by MJ Pontus. And uh, a very quick um, answer to that is I would have found this useful right at the start. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I totally agree. I think as a book, it's, yes, from day one, very valuable I, there was nothing in there that I thought, mm, I'm not sure that I agree with that. Nothing too controversial. Nothing too challenging, that. no. Um, you could literally go through and read all of the headings and just have that as a, as, as a, as a, a like a mantra. Things you need, to, con- you need yes. to have considered all of these yes, things. Yes. Yeah, I think But then good. you can expand upon it. Um, uh, and it's written in an easy-to-digest way. Um, you... It gives you some tips. It helps you to understand some of the challenges you might face with people. It's not just a case of do this uh, and you'll be all right. Yeah, it's it's not advocating one particular style of management either. I think it talks uh, right at the beginning about this is learn what it means to be a manager. Learn what it is that you need to do to be a good manager. Learn about your management style. So they're not saying this is the template, do this. No. It's actually a number of points. And a lot of the points were one to two paragraphs per point, weren't there? Yeah. So there were there were a number of points through each chapter with just simple pointers. You could go and dig somewhere else if you wanted to. I only found one thing that upset me a bit. That was a link that was broken. Okay. I wanted to go and do a quiz. You know me. Oh, like yeah, quiz. you do like a quiz. And the, the quiz link didn't work. But uh, that I got over that quite quickly. Um, but yeah, it starts at the beginning. Literally, the first chapter is where to start. And it takes you through understanding the actual organisation, that communication is so important, um, that you're a coach, a motivator, a mentor and a trainer, um, success being devi- defined by the team. Then it talks about the human resource elements, which I think is really helpful as well. Some of the actual practical tips mm-hmm. from recruiting through to to dealing with hr issues um and and that yeah i thought it was a neat little book which you know if, if somebody is aspiring to be a manager or is, you know new into that role then it's a, it's a nice little takeaway for them i think i agree totally the other thing i think is there are an awful lot of people who have been managing people for quite a long time who would benefit from reading this book <laughs> that's an incredibly good point because uh very often and and we all know this people get promoted and they have no formal management training and so they wing it and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and they don't necessarily understand what's 
actually going on when you're managing people Mm. or when you're managing even when you're managing a project which inevitably is going to include people what's actually happening it's a thing it's not just a word you know it's not I manage managing is you mentioned projects because one organization I've worked for um was full of project managers they could manage a gantt chart yeah and they couldn't manage the, the people, to, yeah. the change, because change is massive, isn't yeah. it? So, but you can manage certainly. You can manage inanimate objects. You yeah. can manage software. You can manage implementation. But wow, there's an awful lot of other stuff. You know, squishy, fleshy, bony things yes. called people that you yeah. have to manage as and well. They all act. They all respond in different ways to different things. Yeah, that's a scary bit, isn't yeah. it? So the other thing I would add, um, as well as managing people, and one thing that I've noticed over the years, that a lot of people um, get promoted to a management role, become responsible for a budget, and have got no clue how to read a budget. I think yeah. that is a really key skill that, yes. as a new manager, you need yeah. to get yourself a bit of a, a budget reading skill. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, I mean, this book doesn't go into that, that much it's it's it is going very much into the what what is management what are the components um the financial you know how to manage a budget that's knowledge isn't it that's a, yeah this is this is skill based this is a lot of soft skill stuff yes. and i think yeah. uh, it's often forgotten yeah really yeah. is um and I, yeah I, I think you're right now you mention it yes for the beginner but maybe for the old hand as well yeah but how do you tell somebody who's been a manager for years that maybe they need to go back to the start? You man, you ha- it's a bit, it's a bit of an insult, isn't it, to hand somebody a book called Management for Beginners if they've been managing for twenty years? Yeah, and yeah, it, not very palatable. However, a good manager, <laughs> a good manager, a truly good manager, would probably have sought out a book like this at some point when. They weren't as good at managing as they thought they were. I mean, obviously, you can't deal with people who've got inflated egos and think they're perfect at everything and aren't actually that interested in managing people. They're just interested in taking the glory, right? We've all we've all been yeah. managed by people like that. But if you actually, if you really care and you want to be a good manager, uh, you, one would hope that you've sought out a book of this type or some training. And what's great about this is it doesn't it's not heavy-handed with the theory yeah it's as i said it's easy to digest it makes a lot of sense there's nothing in it that i think shouldn't be in there Uh, and i think that it's a good grounding if you then want to go on and understand in a bit more detail about how teams work or how you motivate people or yeah it's not somebody selling a new concept that they've packaged up which is going to be a book which is going to be a lecture series which is going to be a TED talk about this whole new concept of way of working there's some fairly standard management practice in here and 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 in that way is a good little handbook isn't it yeah yeah definitely I would um we got it on Kindle Unlimited you know what I say every time I don't like reading a book on Kindle but um but I can't remember how much it would be if we had to pay for it I really don't know. Would you like me to look while yes. you introduce who we're going to profile? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so while you do that little bit of research, um, one thing I will say, though, is that I did go back to get the Kindle app on my laptop, which uh, reminded me that actually it's not as bad. But the reason I don't... I don't mind reading something on um, on, on Kindle, but 
I don't like making notes. I feel like I can't make notes. You know, all the flashcards bit and highlights. Doesn't quite work for me because never really go through and read the highlighted bits again. I'm sure that there's something that I could improve in the way that I do it. But, you know, when you're tagging bits and pieces, it's just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to find it again. Okay. Right. As if by magic, I, I've just searched. And on that uh, Jeff Bezos um, multi-billion dollar business website, yes. it is available for um, 9 as a paperback or 12 as a hardcover. Okay. But and I think it maybe is a little gift for somebody who's yeah. maybe aspiring to be a manager yeah. or even for your boss if you think they need Yeah, that. a secret it's Santa. A secret Santa. <laughs> it's a brilliant secret Santa. That as long as you never find out who gave them it. <laughs> that is so passive-aggressive, isn't it? That, oh, oh, I love that. I love that. Brilliant. Okay. So if you want a passive-aggressive secret Santa... <laughs> it comes in under £10. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Management for Beginners by MJ Pontus. Okay, all right. So the person that we're um, profiling this week um, is quite an... In found him quite interesting. Can I just say that this sort of research is the whole reason I do this podcast. I was sat watching um, his TED talk and read a few other things and I just went, wow, this, this has just blown my mind. Right, okay. And I don't know if you saw the TED talk, but one, he's a really engaging speaker and two, what a bloody brilliant idea he had several times yeah this this yeah. guy it's it's like serial ideas that he's then sold on so at the, he's sold two business ideas to google two successful businesses and he's currently the ceo of the language learning app duolingo and i just that i just needed to say that because yeah. it was like as i was experiencing that research moment it was like this this is why I do this yes, podcast with you, Heather. This, no, as well as spending some time with you. Yes, obviously, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, totally. Um, but he, a guy, I, I think until we were look, planning this this podcast, I don't think I was, re- I was aware of Duolingo, um, but I don't think I no. knew his name. No, are you going to pronounce I'm it, gonna, Yes, because I haven't done Duolingo, I don't really know how to pronounce... Um, a Guatemalan name, um, but his name, according to, um, you know, when they, in parenthesis, they put how you're supposed to pronounce oh, yeah. things. I can never um, read them. Louis von Ahn. Okay. Louis Co-founder von and CEO Arm. of Duolingo. Yes. There we go. Yes. Um, entrepreneur. Uh, and he was, he's, according to Wikipedia, one of the pioneers of crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing is something that kind of it's part and parcel of everyday yeah, life nowadays. It's accepted now, isn't yeah. it? That's how you raise yeah. funds if you're not going to a, an investor. You get yeah. the public to to do it. Get the crowd to invest. Yeah. So he is he's interested in data, right? But he founded Recapture, which is that thing where you know when you go to a website and it, and it asks you to click uh, to to type. What words you see? We found a capture and oh. then recapture. Oh, and then There's recapture. A story to this. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. And right. if you haven't watched the oh. TED talk, I'll share the story okay. later because this right. makes me tingle. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's something that I've missed. But but the whole um, 
you know, which of these has got traffic lights in it? Or what does this word say? Which, and you may be able to enlighten me, my understanding based on a conversation with a friend a while ago is that actually he was getting people to transcribe information that computers couldn't read. That's it. So recapture. Yeah. So capture was the original um, uh, invention and recapture is a development of it where um, he'd invented this catch thing where people type in the number of something that's all a bit like squiggly. A blurry, not the yeah. number, the, the uh, word, type yes. in the word yes. that you, you see that's blurry and, and made difficult for a computer to um, do um, op, um, character recognition on. Yeah. Um, and he worked out that in the world, in a single day, you know, how many wasted minutes there were of millions of people typing in that word. Okay. And it was huge. It was massive. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this brilliant mind of his there was, um, well, how can we utilise that time? People are typing this in. Is there something we can do that, that actually is of value? People have got to type it in it anyway. It's an incredibly successful um, security um, device. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what they did is it, it's two words that you type in with recapture. Yeah. And one of the words is a word that needs the recognition that the computer can't pick up. Yeah. So they're digitising books. That's the idea with this. Okay. The plan is to digitise all of these books. Yeah. And if a computer can't read a word, it goes into here. Yeah. The computer, when it's doing its recapture test, gives you a known word yeah. and a word that it couldn't read. Yeah. So it's testing to make sure that, that yeah. you're valid. You You've got that known buttons. word yeah. and, and, and you pick up this other one. And if enough people put that word in as well, then it takes it that that is the right word and that becomes part of digitising a book. So okay. he's saying that those 10 seconds it takes you to type that in. Yeah. That it's is contributing getting... to the yeah. correction of... Well, or digitization digit of yeah. books, yeah, that yeah. they can't actually read the characters... Um, the computer's got to do. So they're getting people to do things that computers can't do. I say, that's bloody brilliant. That's so clever. Yeah, yeah. And I thought I wasn't going to be impressed anymore. And then he talked about Duolingo. I'll come back to that if you want. No, 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 that's fine. So, yeah, so I'd heard this thing. So that's the recapture bit. Okay. I think it was um, a friend of ours, Ben Proctor, who talked about it. He kind of knows about that sort of shizzle. And I don't. Um, but... But, but, yeah, as a thing, I thought that was fascinating. But while you were talking about that, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent. Because I do remember um, when I was employed in a particular company, there was something, and it may be that somebody listening knows about this, in which case, please either tell me that I dreamt it or that it's actually a thing. That, you know, when your computer's in standby, it's just idling, you could download a widget. I think it was from a cancer charity of some sort. And it would use... Some of the um, processor. yeah, the processor power of your machine to run, you know, logarithms or algorithms or whatever it is, as part of their research into a cure for cancer or whatever it might be. Um, and it's a similar thing, isn't it? Utilizing, like we utilize the wind or water or whatever. That manpower or that resource, that energy, that it's literally not manpower; it's computer power. Well, that yeah. is yes, yes, but you, but in oh, that the context, recatch is the same. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that's it's using the human it's brain. It's using the human yeah. brain, but it's got two purposes: one to protect access yes, to yeah. to and a website. To, and, yeah, brilliant, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Carry on, Duolingo. Okay, so Duolingo. You need to see this. Um, 
this TED talk, I first saw reference to it in an article um, on BBC News. So the article is called The Man Teaching 300 Million People a New Language. So it's got a big story there and it references a TED talk. I thought, TED talk? That's for me. I'm going to watch this. The TED talk. You can watch it in your car because you've got, have you got the capability when you're parked up to watch a TED talk in your car on the screen? (laughs) Yeah. I was waiting for Heather this evening. She was running a bit late, so I, I just started watching a Christmas film on Netflix in my car. You did look very cosy. It looked like you sort of snuggled down. Yeah, yeah. Got the heated seat on. Probably. Heated seat, yeah. yeah. Reclining, big screen. Yeah, yeah. mince pie. Anyway. <laughs> no, no mince, no mince pies. It would have been better with a warm drink and a mince pie. <laughs> anyway, back to TED Talk. So this TED Talk is from 2011, um, and it's entitled Massive Scale Online Collaboration. And this was just before Duolingo was launched. Okay. Okay. Which is a brilliant timing because he was talking about this brilliant idea. He talked about recapture and then he talked about how that um, he then utilised some of that thinking to develop Duolingo. But Duolingo now exists without needing to do any marketing. It's all word of mouth. And they've got um, oh, millions of I, I couldn't remember how many it was now but they've they've got 100 courses in 28 different languages and you can learn everything from Navajo Welsh um, Hawaiian as well as Spanish French English Arabic Ukrainian um, but the reason he wanted to to do Duolingo was free language education and what he recognized is from Guatemala what he recognized is he had a massive advantage because he um, was English, he, he could speak English as a second language and his parents had encouraged him to learn language and he said that put him as a real advantage um, yep. in his life. Um, and he says that knowledge of English in a non-English speaking country usually means that your income potential is doubled and you, you make twice as much money if you're English. And that's where the idea from having a free app, which Duolingo is, yep. you, you can pay for an upgrade, but for the majority of people and the majority of users are free users. Okay. So the way that Duolingo works, and I love this, is it's, it's also a translation tool. Okay. So while people are learning a yes. language, they are also translating it's like running parallel. So um, he used an example in this talk, um, massive scale online collaboration. Uh, now, I don't know if this is how Duolingo still works. I really don't know, but I just fell in love with this. So from um, 10 years ago, yeah. I, I'm still big, two big thumbs up for this. Um, they, they t- he, he used an example of... Um, say, converting Wikipedia from English to Spanish. Okay. And, you know, with so many hours of learning that, you know, they take a phrase and they put it into Duolingo and you're learning and you get so many other learners typing the same phrase. Yeah. And, hey, presto, the computer agrees that so many other people have typed in this phrase, that's correct, and it's translated. So it's the same... Same idea. You're utilising somebody learning a language, but the value is being added to a translation service. And And that's why it's free. That's why it's free. Yeah. And they compared it to a professional translator doing the same job and using multiple users having translated that as they're learning the language it was pretty much as good as the professional translator, which would cost a a fortune. 
Whereas actually these people were learning and doing the translation and the number of users that you've got, the time taken to translate the whole of Wikipedia into Spanish was massively reduced. It was amazing. So I really do watch the TED Talks. I'm sure my explanation doesn't okay. do it justice. But yeah, that was my real wow moment. It's like, oh, yes, that's so clever. Well, he, um, I found a, an interview with him in uh, uh, fastcompany.com and uh, it, it, it's a, like a three-minute read and it asks him um, all sorts of things. He says that in the morning he takes five Duolingo lessons before he gets out of bed. <laughs> I do three French lessons, one Portuguese lesson and of late a Japanese lesson. It's mostly to test out the product. My teams get reports from me at 6.30am every day saying you should fix this or you should improve this. Then he does a workout and then he heads to the office. Um, he believes with everybody um, being in the office together, um, so they're, they're moving back towards that. Um, but he talks about, um, he gets his best ideas in the shower, so on weekends he tries to take a long shower. Um he said that early on, a lot of the ideas that Duolingo came from him or his co-founder, um, but he said that's no longer true. Less than 1% of the ideas come from me now. Most of what I do is review other people's ideas and work, going back to the thing about being a good manager. Yeah. It's encouraging people to contribute. Um, but he actually sounds like um, quite an interesting guy. He, um, he, he doesn't post about his personal life on social media. But he talks a lot about Guatemala because he um, he says, I think our government is corrupt and I tweet against our government. Um, he uh, he works in front of the TV, watch it sort of watching TV, but sort of 40 percent productive, wakes up in the middle of the night for an hour randomly. Um, he sounds like a really, really busy guy. But I just love the fact that he's reviewing this product every day. Yeah, he's, he's actually though, using it. Yeah, yeah, even though he's, um, you know, by now, you would expect with the success of the organisation, he'd say, well, somebody needs to be doing product doing product <laughs> testing. But he's like, no, he's doing it. He's staying in touch with um, his product. And I think that's fantastic. Whether he is fluent in Portuguese, Japanese, French, I don't know. But uh, have you ever tried Duolingo? I have, yeah. Um, I... What, what language? How many languages can you speak? Oh, loads. Yeah, none of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I work for a Norwegian company, so I thought I'd have a go at Norwegian. That's quite hard. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I did a few weeks. Um, I had a go at Spanish. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, it's really accessible. But I think um, if you if you're going to learn a language, you, you sort of have to be committed. To be fair, the app keeps bugging you and reminds you. Come on, you haven't done any. Oh. Come on, come on. So like a brain exercise as much as anything. It is, really, yeah. yeah. Um, the reason why we, we picked uh, Louise is um, we, I'd seen a, an article on CEO secrets. So I mentioned before how um, that's how I discovered the gender stereotype and don't be, don't be young and, <laughs> and uh, don't, don't be girly. That was it. Yeah, don't yes. be young and don't be yeah. girly. Um, so this was on C, CEO secrets series on the BBC website. And he, he was very short, that's about a minute, minute and a half. Um, and he was saying one of the bits of advice he would share is the need to develop your social skills. Okay. He says in there, my job is mainly dealing with people. Now, he's a consulting professor in computer science. It's not a 
Yeah. Yeah. And he said he thought at the start of his career that wouldn't be his job. He wished he'd known how little of his job would be um, de- dealing just with computers and how much of his job would um, be dealing with people issues. And he said he wished he'd spent more time developing his social skills because mm-hmm. that is what management is. Yes. It's yeah. it's um, dealing with people problems. And he says a lot of management skills are social skills. That takes us back to the book that we just yeah. read. A lot of it was about the soft I say soft skills. It's yeah. not soft and squidgy. Key skills. Key like skills, yeah. Um, <laughs> and this guy who is incredibly successful, it's not many people that sell two successful businesses to Google. He says develop your social skills. So I think you should. <laughs> yeah, totally. He, um, he also talks about, uh, so it's the most downloaded educational app in the world. Um, he mentioned, as, as, you, as you touched upon, you know, his privilege at the fact that he was able to speak English as a second language impacted significantly on his success. He talks about um, education is something that, is, that brings inequality to different social classes because people who've got money can buy education and people who don't have very much money barely learn how to read and write. So making education universally available is his mission. And they're expanding now beyond language courses to off, to teach literacy and maths. Okay. So he's, 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 you know, he's widening the horizon. Um, he sounds like a, 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 quite, well, like a decent kind of guy. Like a good egg. Like a good egg, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've just, um, I need to correct myself because I said Duolingo don't do any marketing. They didn't do any marketing or advertising until 2019, but okay. they do some now. Yeah. Okay. Um, but prior to 2019, it was uh, their growth was due to positive word of mouth. It was niggling me after I'd said that because I'm sure I'd seen an advert recently for Geolingo. I was thinking, well, that can't be right. Right. Anyway, yeah, so I I reckon you should go and, if nothing else, it's 15 minutes well spent listening to some great ideas as to um, how how you can utilise things that you would never have potentially considered had value, like typing in a word for a security... Um, app or you know learning a language is adding value in another way it just made me really have a wow moment so if you want a wow moment as well go and look up pronounce his name for me heather oh god i've lost the um lewis van ar yeah uh, massive scale online collaboration on ted um and why not also just go and have a look at geolingo and see if it's for you it's they, they say that um a lot of the criticism of Duolingo is that you don't get fully proficient in a language, but it's a heck of a good way to start, particularly for free. Yeah. Uh, uh, to yeah. see if it's for you, really. Yeah. 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 He's obviously a very clever man. Um, he, he says in one of these interviews that Bill Gates spent 45 minutes on the phone to him trying to persuade him to come and work for Microsoft. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Bill Gates only spends time talking to people that... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, really worth speaking to in terms of his uh, uh, his business. Right. Well, there we go. That that's uh, that's our pontificating for uh, this week over and done with. You. <laughs> <laughs>